Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Ladies Promoting Transparent Advocacy Podcast. I am your podcast host, Shay Pate. Well, it's Men Monday. No, I don't have my Men Monday theme song. I'm actually working on another one. So right now, I'm your theme song. <laughs> Today on Men Monday, I want to talk about a man that personally, I have to admit, I never heard of. I'm kind of surprised when I found out what he was about and the things he was um, writing about as an author. I'm very surprised I haven't heard of him. But let me just say this before I introduce this man. I do not know how to pronounce his name. I practice, so if I don't say it correctly, I apologize to him and his fans. His name is Tanahisi Coates. And um, I was talking to someone just about injustice and a lot of things happening in America. And she brought up his name and she told me to do some research on him. And she mentioned about the N-word and uh, a seminar or a conference he was doing where people were talking to him, asking his opinion about non-African-Americans using the word. It was actually a white female in the audience that asked him. They were actually at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois. And I think it was high school and college students at this I guess it was a seminar or something, or a conference he was given. He was on a stage in the auditorium. So um, I didn't know anything about him. I did find out that when he was a correspondent at The Atlantic, where he wrote about cultural, social, and political issues, particularly regarding African-Americans and white supremacy. So when I found that out, I went and did a lot of research on him and I think one of the things that was powerful for me was I saw that there was a clip where he was on the Oprah Winfrey show years ago talking about reparations. And if you're a big Oprah fan, you probably already know who he is. And I was really um, a little more uh, curious about him. So I found two things. And one is where he is at Northwestern University and he's addressing the N-word. And the other is where he was at Free Library of Philadelphia. Now, being from Pennsylvania, I had never even heard of that. So I'm just learning as I go. And as I tell you, I'm a student at all times. And I think that the gentleman that introduces him at the Free Library of Philadelphia does an amazing job because it gives us an idea for people like me who didn't know that much about him. He's wrote a lot of things, and a lot of you have probably even seen him on different circuits and uh he's talking about a book called an american tragedy at this uh free library of philadelphia i'm guessing because that's what comes up when they're talking about him so what i want to do is play that introduction because the gentleman that introduces him does a, a very good job and so he introduces him with a lot of his credentials and that'll give everyone a chance to understand his background. And then right after that audio, I would like to play just the question part where this young lady asks him about the N-word. And um, I just want you to just listen to some of the things that are being said and get your opinion after the audio is played. You can always call or email us with your opinion. And as always, um, 
I want you guys to do your research on anything you have questions on and pay attention to the words that people are saying, because sometimes words say more than just what we hear. Okay, so listen to the audio and to the Free Library of Philadelphia. I'm State Representative Stephen Kinsey. As many of you know, the Free Library is dedicated to advancing literacy, guiding learning, and inspiring curiosity. From this award-winning author event series to its thought-provoking programs, like the recent panel discussion on the legacy of race and policing here at Parkway Central. Please visit freelibrary.org forward slash support. So let me repeat that. That's important. <laughs> Please visit freelibrary.org forward slash support to make a gift that will help the library to continue producing such transformative programming. While you're online, do like I did and sign up for a library card. I actually did that. Still waiting to receive it, but I did it. It's now my pleasure to introduce Mr. Tanihasi Coates. Mr. Coates, oh, he's coming out, folks. Hold on one second. Let me let me tell you a little bit about this gentleman. What? Right? Mr. Coates is many things author, journalist, blogger. Some of you might remember this thing called comic books. He's a comic book writer, screenwriter, educator. But throughout and above them all, he has become a clarion voice in our country, calling attention to the so-called bloody heroines of our nation's past. His words have been searing the national consciousness for years. Through his work as a national correspondent for the Atlantic and his national book award winning Between the World and Me, a treatise to his son about being black in America. In 2015, he was the recipient of a MacArthur Fellowship, an acknowledgement of the genius of his historical, political, personal analysis on race relationships in our country. He is also a distinguished writer in residence at NYU's Arthur L. Carter Journalism Institute. His new book, We Were Eight Years in Power, An American Tragedy, is a collection of new and previously published essays on the, on the Obama presidency and is interspersed by his own personal re reflections. The Boston Globe call it essential, saying Coates' probing essay about race, politics, and history became necessary ballast for this nation's gravity-defying moment. His talk tonight will be in conversation with 6ABC's Tamela Edwards, weekday co-anchor of Action News Morning and a regular co-host of Inside Story. We are so pleased to have them here with us this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, now you guys can get ready. Please join me in welcoming Mr. Tiny Hasi Coates and Tamla and Edwards to the Free Library. Good evening and welcome. 
uh, when I met Tanahasi backstage, I said, you know, I watched another interview you did where you said they're all starting to run together. Right. So I did have done my best. We will see if I survive. <laughs> but thank you for for coming out. You know, in Tanahasi, the book is titled An American Tragedy. And I was telling you how much I loved the essays in between the essays, the things that you write to tell us about where you were and how you felt. And in the fourth year, you write this. And I start here because people ask me so you're much. already ahead of everybody else because you said in the fourth year. So that, that means you actually got into the book. So. I did. I read the whole book. There's a lot of wow. underlining. Wow, that's, a, that's impressive. Uh, but, you know, you get people ask you all the time about hope. And you always say, that's not my job. My job is to present the information right. and you decide right. whether or not hope is warranted. But you wrote this. All I know is that even now, with outrageous compiling daily, with the suicidal wish of whiteness on full display, with its impulse to burn down the country, if the country can't dream itself white, I'm hoping that I'm wrong, that I am somehow unnecessarily bleak. And then you're in the chapter... The answer was always there. The history told me, the streets told me, and so and so the music told me. I heard the tune, soon I would hear the lyrics. And at the end of that chapter, I wrote one word, heartbroken. Mm. To me, this book was a memoir of your broken heart, mm. that you started, you let yourself hope, and then you were both upset. I knew it was coming and shocked that it happened. It's pretty good. <laughs> Are we after an okay story? <laughs> I should interview you. <laughs> One of these days. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I, because I write in this really, what feels like a really hard and direct way, I think people assume like that's how I am. I'm actually a pretty soft dude. You know, I, I really am. You know, I'm pretty, you know, sensitive and. I am, you know what I'm saying? I am. I mean, that's why, I think that's why, to the extent that the writing touches people, I think that's actually why. It's, it doesn't see it, but it's actually my sensitivity. It's the fact that I'm in touch with the emotions that allow, you know what I mean? Yeah. The emotions actually to be broadcast out. And the first thing, you're that hard, you can't really write. You don't have anything to touch, you know? Last week, Northwestern had this concert with Lil Uzi Burt. I don't know if you know who that is. He's like the All My Friends Are Dead going through my head something all my friends are dead anyway he uses the n-word profusely like a ton and there was an email sent out to students who went to this concert saying you don't have a right to use this word which i 100 percent agree with like i as a white person i don't have any right i haven't until reparations are paid until there's some sort of giving back there's no right but what do you say just, I don't know what to do when I hear my friends using this word in a song. I don't know what to do when it's just, it's all the time. Well, you know, I don't want to get into what people sing in their showers. You know, um, I, I, you know, if you, I, you know, you want to sing the whole DMX song in your shower or whatever that dude's name. <laughs> um, I think people should understand the reasoning for why, um, and this is, you know, divisive with even in the black community. Everybody doesn't agree with this. You know, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to say the word, um, because I think, you know, in the conference, like, if you had used the word nigger right just now, I would have understood what you meant, um, and I, I wouldn't have taken offense within the context of the question. I understand why you did that. Um, 
communities uh, in general of people, well, let's, let's start even more basic than that. Words don't have meaning without context, okay? Um, my wife refers to me as honey. That's accepted and okay between us. If we were walking down the street together and a strange woman referred to me as honey, that wouldn't be acceptable. The understanding is I have some sort of relationship with my wife. Hopefully I have no relationship with this strange woman. <clears throat> when I was young and I used to go see my family uh, in, in, in Philadelphia where my dad was from, they will all call him Billy. His name is William Paul Coates. Um, no one in Baltimore called him Billy. And had I referred to my father as Billy, that probably would have been a problem. That's because the relationship between myself and my dad is not the same as the relationship between my dad and his mother and his sisters who he grew up with. Right? We understand that. Um, it's the same thing with words within the African-American community or within any community. Uh, my wife, with her girlfriend, will use the word bitch. I do not join in. I don't you know, say, hey, I want to. I don't do that. I don't do that. And perhaps more importantly, I don't have a desire to do it. You, you understand? You know, um, a while ago, Dan Savage was going to have this uh, show that he was going to call Hey Faggot. I'm not going to yell faggot at Dan Savage. I'm just not. That's not my relationship with the LGBT community, and, and I understand that, and I'm okay with that. I don't have a desire to, you know, uh, uh, yell out the word, you know, faggot. I just don't have that. Um, the question one must ask, if, if that's accepted and normal for groups of people, we understand that, you know, it's normal, actually, for groups to use words that are derogatory in an ironic fashion. Why is there so much hand-wringing when black people do it? Um, Black people are basically, you know, however you feel about it, they're not outside of the normal rules and laws for humanity. I had a, you know, a good friend who used to have this um, cabin in upstate New York. She referred to as the white trash cabin. He was white. I would never refer to that cabin. I would never tell him I'm coming to your white trash cabin. <laughs> I just wouldn't do that. I, and, and I, you know what I mean? I think you understand why I wouldn't do it. The question one must ask is why so many white people have difficulty extending things that are basic laws, you know, of how human beings interact to black people. And I think I know why. <laughs> um, when you're white in this country, you're taught that everything belongs to you. You think you have a right to everything. You got a right to go with you. I mean, you're conditioned this way. It's not, you know, because, you, you know, your hair is a texture or your skin is light. It's the fact that the laws and the culture tell you this. You got a right to go where you want to go, do what you want to do, be however. And people just got to accommodate themselves to you. So here comes this word that, you know, you feel like you invented. And that's why I will tell you how to use a word that you invented. You know, but why can't I use it? Everyone else gets to use it. You know what? That's racism that I don't get to use it. You know, that's racist against me. You know, I have to inconvenience myself and, and hear this song and I can't sing along? How come I can't sing along? You know what I mean? And I think, you know, uh, uh, for white people, I think the experience of being a hip-hop fan and not being able to use the word nigga is actually very, very insightful. It will give you just a little peek into the world of what it means to be black.
Because to be black is to walk through the world and watch people doing things that you cannot do, that you can't join in and do, you know? And so I think there's actually a lot to be learned from refraining. Donna Hussey. Uh, hi, Tony. Nancy. My name is Khalil, uh, Howard University. What's up? Um, <laughs> I just want to, first, I want to say uh, I appreciate you. It's good to see somebody who went through the same struggle, um, you know, I, dealing with Howard and uh, learning from the Mecca uh, to see somebody like uh, you make it, um, in a sense. So I just want to say thank you for that. Mm. Um, I'm currently a student at uh, Loyola Chicago School of Law, um, and <laughs> Thank you. Um, watching you interact and going you you on your tours and stuff like that, I constantly find myself on a smaller scale wondering this, and I've never found the question. So I'm hoping maybe you can articulate it. Going through what you're going through, you talk about uh, earlier. You said uh, you feel like you're representing. Um, I'm the only black male in my section, so I feel the same. How do you not? You don't seem mad. How, how do you? How are you not angry? You no, know, that's a serious question. How are you not? You should read some of my reviews. <laughs> <laughs> but do you have any tips? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I, I write. I write. I, I funnel it all into the book, and that's probably why the reviews look the way they look. Um, but I, I, the rage is in the book, and um, I think you know, rage is actually an, an, an important feeling. People try to make black people um, ashamed for being angry. You know, as though there's something wrong with, with, with being angry. Anger is a human emotion. Um, it is normal to be, it's quite a bit to be angry about. You know, um, when somebody has robbed you and you um, are in a community in which everyone around you has been robbed and the robbery is ancestral, you, you might be a little angry. You know, um, I funnel that into my work. You know, I have moments all the time, you know, when I'm working on a story and I'm working on one right now. And I just, you know, had these moments where, you know, and I'll explain it. Maybe, you know, next year, I'll come back, you know, after this. Oh. But I just, I, when I was doing a case for reparations, and I, that's, yeah, let me talk about something that happened in the past. Um, when I was doing a case for reparations, um, there's a gentleman who leads that story by the name of Clyde Ross. When I walked into that dude's house on the west side, and he told me about how they robbed him in Mississippi by law, by law, the law was robbery, it was a kleptocracy, and how he came to, Chicago, and they he thought he was free, and they robbed him again. Mr. Ross was, I think, 91, 92 years old. Um, I was pissed. I was and I wasn't, and the thing, I was pissed. You know, I remember walking out, you know, in, into, you know, streets of Lawndale, and I was so angry, not just that he'd been robbed, but that people act like, you know, acting like Lawndale was a mystery. And they couldn't figure out why Lawndale was the way it was. You know why Lawndale is the way it is. You get it. You know for a while what happened here. Um, I take that and I just pour it into the writing. I just pour it right in. You know, I pour all of that passion and all of that rage and all of that anger and, you know, all of those, you know, um, quote-unquote negative emotions. I just pour it right into the literature. I wanted to respond to two things. The thing is, it's really, really important. The first thing is... You know, we, we all stand on, on the shoulders of our ancestors. And so I think it's really, really important for people to understand that the demand for reparations is actually as old as enslavement in this country. So it's actually as old as the country itself. You know, in the case of reparations, I, I go through the history you know, of that. 
immediately after enslavement, people were asking for reparations. And, you know, one of, you know, the answers that I record in that article was, well, we gave you Christian civilization. We brought you over here out of the bar bar barbarism of Africa. The question of, you know, payback to the, you know, formerly enslaved is settled. You know, our account is even. It's a favor to you that we actually enslaved you. So there's always a good reason not to do it. <laughs> but what people will fashion as a good reason. And they did it at that time. The second thing is I would say that people have this idea, and please don't take this the wrong way, but they have this notion that black people went free in 1865 and then, you know, everything was okay. Um, in fact, what followed that was a hundred years of, if not state sanctioned, the state certainly looking away, you know, from a campaign of terrorism. So I am, for instance, myself sitting here right now, only one generation removed from the generation of redlining. My mother grew up in segregated Baltimore. She lived in public housing. My grandmother had to get a contract loan. So it, 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 the crime actually isn't as far away as we think. The third point I would make is we have to recognize that we've actually given reparations before. We gave reparations to intern Japanese Americans in this country. And, and listen, <laughs> this is important. This is important because the internment of Japanese Americans is further away than the period of redlining. That happened in the 1940s. The period of redlining wasn't outlawed until the late 1960s. So the crime actually extends past that. So, I mean, you have living, you know, victims, and you certainly have the descendants of those. So I actually think it's a little um, easier to figure out than maybe sometimes we, we have it in our head. Well, everybody, I hope you were paying attention to the audio that I played. I ended up going to the Oprah Winfrey uh video that I mentioned that I saw where he was on the show talking about reparations. And I just played a little bit of that. I didn't mention that I was going to do that. But after hearing him talk about what happened in Lawndale, Illinois, guys, do some research on that. Um, I just thought it was appropriate to let you hear the clip he did on Oprah about reparations. You know, I really was... um. I, I, I'm, I don't know what word to use, but let me just say this. When he mentioned that people are always trying to shame black people for being angry, you know, like women, especially black women, when we are vocal as I am, I will say for myself, my own experience, when we're vocal about injustice and equality and things that are gone wrong, we're considered angry black women. And especially if you're in a corporate American setting, um, corporate America is a beast. As many of you know, I've been in corporate America and I was blessed that every company I work for is number one in the entire world in their industry. And now I'm in a totally different arena, which is the legal uh, part of America, which is my love. Of course, I've been in the legal industry for over 25 years and Working in major uh, law firms teaches you a lot. I'll say that. So I get to see the legal side of it. And I get to see injustice and inequality there as well. Because as you know, many people don't realize uh, the law is just that. It determines everything. I mean, everything that we do, what we get, what you know they consider fair. And the law is the number one thing in America that changes things, good and bad. 
And with me saying that, I want to say that I will continue until the election to harp on the importance of not just the election at the at a presidential level and even the Senate and the House level. Those are extremely important. But also, don't forget about the local level because those are the people and the laws that will affect what you do right now where you live, no matter what happens at the upper levels. And this gentleman, I mean, there was so much on him. I, I couldn't even begin to figure out at first how I was even going to do the show. But I just wanted to put a little bit out there. Just like he said, that that's my mission. He mentioned how his goal is just to put the information out there and you decide what to do with it. I mean, that's part of our goal, too. We're always trying to do the bridging. You know, we, we want to bridge communities, bridge people, bridge experiences for the better. Because I don't know about you guys, but woo-wee, the last couple of years, I mean, I've been around a long time and I have never felt the way that I feel. You know, um, it's always important to remember how things make you feel more than how you receive what's being said. Because when you feel things, it definitely changes your mind and your heart. You know, you can read. And you can watch TV and, you know, you can do things and it may not touch your heart as much as it does if you feel it. You know, there's a lot of struggling going on right now. We need unity more than we ever have before. We can't make everybody kumbaya, as I used to say. I get that. But we need, there's a lot of people. I talk to people all the time of all races, all income levels, all mentalities. And one thing that I keep hearing from many, many people is that they're kind of scared of a lot of stuff that's happening right now. They're scared to get the pand uh, the COVID. They're scared uh, to try to stretch their imagination at home. They're scared that they're not going to be able to feed their family. They're scared that they're about to lose their house or apartment or rather renting or buying. They're scared that they'll never be able to go back to work again. And then what? I mean, think about it. What if you're in your 20s? It doesn't matter the age, but I'm just giving an example. And you've lost everything and have kids. Uh, what if you're a single mother in that situation? What are you going to do? I mean, your instinct is to do whatever it takes to survive with your kids. So whatever it takes means just that. If we don't get the stimulus under control, this pandemic out of um, under control, because the pandemic controls everything we're doing right now. If we can just get this pandemic under control, which it should be, after we're learning that it was known long in February, it would be under control right now. Everybody had to wear masks and be able to go on and get it a cure and vaccine. We'd be hopefully out of this. And most of the people would not even have been deceased. You know, we, they could have survived this. So anyway, I, that's not the topic. I kind of went sad, but I'm just so angry about all this happening right now. I want unity and I want people to just start thinking, you know, I have conversations with very intelligent people and it shocks me that they don't really care about what's going on as long as it don't affect them immediately. But all this is going to affect all of us eventually if it stays at this rate. So as I mentioned, one of the reasons why I wanted to uh, do this gentleman on Mid Monday is because I was really able to find some things that he has said and done that are relevant right now. And we need to just start paying attention and 
use everything God has given you to fight, you know, fight for your rights, fight for dignity, fight for uh, holding people accountable, because that's what ladies promoting transparent advocacy is all about. We want to hold people accountable. And right now, people aren't being held accountable. So I want you guys to look this gentleman up and see if there's anything that he is saying, whether it's in his books, whether it's in his reports, or even some of the videos, because I found all my information online, um, and see if it touches you and if it inspires you or encourages you. And I hope it does, because that's the whole point. So I'm going to close out. Uh, I just want to ask you guys to follow me on this podcast, Podbean. But definitely uh, download me. I am on iTunes, uh, Apple iTunes and Google Play and Spotify. And I'm also on Pandora and Alexa. Uh, it's called uh, TuneIn Alexa for Amazon. And a couple other podcast uh, apps. So I'm really excited about this. I'm only in week four, so I'm growing. It's, it's, it's a lot of work, but I'm excited. I really hope that we can continue to bridge uh, the gaps between inequality and justice and have some really, really exciting people ready to make change because we're a village and we have to do this together all races and all backgrounds because we this is a hot mess so anyway please give us a call if you have any questions on our call-in line at 404-855-7723 you can email us at podcast host shapete19 at gmail.com you know i definitely want you to follow me definitely follow me on twitter or as I say, our organization at Advocacy Advocacy Ladies. That's capital A is in advocacy, capital L is in ladies. And definitely follow us here on Podbean because uh, I'm new and I, I want the followers. I need the followers and I need people engaged because we have to do this together. And, you know, I like to end my podcast with my favorite questions. Excuse me, question. <laughs> What do you have to say? Thank you for listening.